When did you become aware that there was more to life than what surrounds you? That you were a small part of something much bigger, bigger than your circle of friends or your immediate or even extended family. That it might be a different purpose to life beyond the moment, getting together, hanging out. That in front of you, there might be infinite paths, some perfectly paved speedways, some a skip in the park, while others completely uncharted. Hi, this is Tony Chapman, host of the podcast Chatter That Matters. In my new series that I've called Chat Bites, I'll bite into slices of life. Podcasts will be much shorter in length, but packed with insights and ideas to help people get to where they need and deserve to go. When I was 19, I went to Carleton University. It was located in Ottawa, the capital of Canada. What brought me there was something that would both bless me and curse me for my entire life my appetite to find shortcuts, getting from point A to B and only smelling the flowers if you ended up sprinting through a garden. Instead of studying in the Quebec CJEP program where you spent two years after high school preparing yourself for university, you could accomplish the same goal in only one year at Carleton. Two years for the price of one, sign me up. Carleton was the only time I could afford to study away from home, but it was formative in so many ways. I moved away from my family and my close friends, and all I knew. I had to make a budget stretch. I had a food card that fed me three meals a day and $10 a week for expenses and the constant trade-off of beer versus laundry. I often snuck out bread rolls for an evening snack. I hustled every job I could to find enough money for beer and pizza and the occasional bus ride back home. I found myself in a residence which had two double rooms, two single rooms, two bathrooms, and a sitting room but I also found myself two years younger than my next roommate. I had to find a way to navigate the dynamics of that residence and also learn how to manage my time. In the classroom, I had to overcome my imposter syndrome. My best friends back then, who I've lost touch with, were Dave McAfee and an early Big Bang character we called CPU. Trying to date girls in university when you're a lowly qualifying year? Forget about it. The pecking order played in favor of the athletes and senior students certainly taught me about the human food chain. Mind you, when I went home on the occasional weekend sporting my university jacket, when most of my friends hadn't followed that path, well, it gave me a certain panache, a joie de vivre. Well, it was during that year, in second term, that I took a class that absolutely opened my mind. I don't know if it was the teacher or the subject matter or maybe just growing up. But that term and in that class... I was motivated to slow down, to think and express, to dive beneath the surface, to try and understand the basis and basics of things. I learned or confirmed in that class that at times, in fact, many times, there's no right or wrong answer. And then to each of us, our perception is more real than reality. It was during that year in second term that I took a class that opened my mind. It wasn't a philosophy course, but an English class where we studied utopia and dystopia. I don't know if it was the teacher or the subject matter, or maybe just growing up. But for once in my life, I was motivated to slow down, to think, to think beyond the words on the page, and to imagine beyond the tale being woven. The essential question of that course is what is better? Utopia where everything is magnificent and ideal, or dystopia where the conditions of the place are presented as extremely bad or unpleasant? 
Well, on the surface, the answer is obvious. Most, if not all of us, would seek utopia. But what I question, and I imagine what many students question, is whether a life of overwhelming perfection and happiness, can that also be a life that makes your heart beat or simply flatline? At the end of the course, we had to write a story that depicted one or the other, utopia or dystopia. My story was titled, The Mushroom Farmer. I set my story after a violent and prolonged exchange of weapons of mass destruction. Weapons that had deconstructed the planet and almost all who inhabited it. The only survivors, they lived in a modern day ark moored on a sea of rocks. It was designed as a series of capsules, an above ground bunker, and it was capable of withstanding the radioactive wasteland that was now planet Earth. Inside, it was colonized by a thousand people, a diverse and cross-representation of society. No one fought, and everyone was grateful they were the survivors. They also had no worries. All they needed to sustain themselves was provided. Filtered air, synthetic water, artificial food manufactured into the most exotic meals, all within arm's reach of desire. There was no pressure or even an ability to earn. People could devote their time to learn or explore or virtually travel to wherever their imagination desired. They could choose their dreams. And sex, it was allowed, but it wasn't necessary as procreation was a scientific process based on algorithms to eliminate disease and accelerate Darwin's theory of evolution. There's one person on board that felt trapped, confined. He used to be a farmer. And the best way to describe his emotional state is to imagine if you accidentally found yourself inside a nuclear submarine as it begins to submerge on the water and what you quickly learn could be a year-long mission. Your chest would tighten and your anxiety would heighten. To the farmer, the filtered air never filled his lungs. He wanted to breathe fresh air again. He wanted to feel the heat of the sun, the dampness of his sweat. He wanted to see the seeds that he sowed grow into a bountiful harvest. He just wanted to hear the sound of his tractor engine turning over. And each day was like the last and the next. He sat in the same chair and just stared out at the barren wasteland, blending into this permanent gray sky of a nuclear winter. One day the farmer saw something that defied science. A mushroom was pushing its way above ground. No one or any instrument could explain how Mother Nature had found a way to nurture life again. The single mushroom spread like an emotional fungus inside the colony. To some, it shattered their feeling of certainty. Their comfort was status quo. To others, this sudden change in normality had them question what they thought was impossibilities, which led to possibilities. And then suddenly the walls inside began to feel like a prison. The farmer, he volunteered to leave Utopia, to go outside and pick the mushroom, and to bring it back so they could study it. The colony agreed. Early in the morning, the farmer walked out into the frigid cold, wearing his protective gear. Behind him, most if not the entire colony was pressed to the glass. Many marveled at the fresh steps he was left in the dust. To some, it reminded them of history. Once again, we were living where a single man took a small step, but a giant step for mankind. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. When the farmer got to the mushroom, he knelt down. He then shocked everyone when he chose to surrender his life to the toxic atmosphere. He turned off his intercom and then unbuckled his airtight gloves to free his hands to touch the small mushroom. And next, he took off his sealed helmet so he could smell it and taste it. He then looked back at Utopia and waved, 
and walked until he was out of sight and out of life. Where was he? In utopia or in dystopia? The Mushroom Farmer was the first story I ever wrote that wasn't something I rushed to get my homework done. In those days, we didn't have word processors to correct spelling or offer grammar suggestions. Any mistake had to be erased by pencil or whited out if it was typed. I didn't care. For the first time in my life, I wanted to create something that mattered. I wanted my words to carry meaning. I wanted to shatter the ingrained biases of what is good for one isn't necessarily good for all. I wanted my words to move people. And instead of shaking their heads in disbelief at a farmer who foolishly chooses a few minutes to live surrounded by an open sky versus a lifetime submerged in a closed society. I wanted them to accept his destiny. I wanted them to cheer for his courage that he made it a matter of choice, not chance. And maybe subconsciously, I was that farmer. Not as someone who would purposely end his life, but someone who feels imprisoned by status quo, who struggles and at times challenges authority, who celebrates and champions the underdog. And as a serial entrepreneur, someone who lives to plant seeds and hope that one day they can be harvested. For all of you who have given me the honor of your time listening to this podcast, do me a favor, write back to me and share with me your story when something happened to you that changed your course in life. This is Tony Chapman. You've been listening to the first episode of Chat Bites. Let's chat soon.